Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match preview with myself, Andrew Musgrove and John Gibson. Newcastle travel down to the Amex on Saturday to face Brighton. Another Saturday 3pm kickoff, John, which is a rarity in these days. It when changed. was the last time Newcastle had two 3pm kickoffs in a row? Um, unbelievable, really, and yet that used to be the way it always was once upon a time. But uh, there we are. But uh, I still enjoy the Saturday at 3 o'clock. It's, there's something about it traditionally. Definitely. And what a game on the cards as well. I was saying this earlier in the week in the office, that if you're a neutral, this potentially could be the game of the weekend. Because of the way Brighton started beating Manchester United 2-1 and the way Newcastle started obviously beating them Nottingham Forest 2-0 in a, in a dominant display uh, if you are a fan who doesn't support either side I think you should rather be looking forward to this game yeah I mean in a way live television might have missed a trick here because you, they traditionally go for one of the top six sides playing a very interesting side and Brighton and Newcastle may not fit into that but um it will be fascinating because Newcastle are on the up and up. Uh, their approach play against Forest was absolutely excellent. And I doubt if there's anybody out of the top six that knocks a ball around ni- more nicely than Brighton do. So it's got everything about it. Mm, it was superb against Manchester United. And I'm a big fan of Graham Potter. You guys might remember when Newcastle were going after the manager. Obviously, they ended up appointing Eddie Howe. Potter, for me, was he was my first choice we were again speaking in the office I'm giving you an insight into Chronicle Towers here we were speaking about what happens if Gareth Southgate has a bad World Cup do England go after Eddie Howe and I said well they might go after Potter and they seem to be the two managers at the top of the game two top English managers and I'm just it's going to be a fascinating battle on the touchline it is but I I, I mean I th- it's rather interesting start because I felt I feel that Cooper who was the, the young um, manager with Forrest, Cooper and Howe and uh, now Potter and Howe are good matchups. Not that Forrest weren't as a team, but he will get them given time to be a, to be a, a, a Brighton uh, Cooper. Uh, they're long way off that at the moment, but they're bound to be. But he is a very progressive coach and you can't speak more highly of Potter because he's defied all the odds down at Brighton. I mean, uh, it's quite ludicrous. They, they've they now playing, what, some like the sixth successive season in the top flight. Uh, and what's amazing about them is that they keep selling all the top players and then you think, well, that's the team severely wounded. And then they go and get a result. They've, signed, they've sold two this summer for £82 million and yet go to Manchester United and win. In the last transfer window, January, they sold Dan Byrne to Newcastle and lost their, their star finder, Dean Ashworth, to Newcastle and still go and finish ninth top, the highest they've ever been. They should be mortally wounded with the transfer uh, dealings this summer, but to go to Man U for the first time, they win at Man U. And the record 
is quite fascinating under Potter because the last four uh, seasons in the Premier League, they have won their opening away game, as they, they did with... And one of them was at St. James's Park. Mm. So, um, yes, they, they definitely punch above their weight. And what is good is they don't do it in any negative way. If I go back far enough, you remember Wimbledon, who was really just front to back uh, and back to front and and tackling like bear traps and nothing attractive about it whatsoever. Uh, this is attractive football. I mean, if you saw their second goal at Man U, which started by the corner, their own corner flag, and within four passes in 18 seconds, they pass it through the whole of the field into the Manchester United penalty area and finish. It was a wonderful team goal. Um, they have uh, an awful, awful lot of ability and a very good mix. But before we get carried away, so of Newcastle. Uh, let's not uh, get so carried away. We'll make uh, Birmingham, uh, we'll make Brighton out to be Barcelona and Newcastle have no chance because that might have been so a year or two years ago, but it's not so any longer Newcastle are more than capable of matching them but I tell you what's interesting about this game we are a much better test for Brighton than Manchester United were and Brighton are a much better test for us than Nottingham Forest were it's going to be a bigger challenge on Saturday for both sides mm, that's why I think it makes such a great game potentially for the neutral you mentioned there the players have lost they lost Bazuma to Tottenham and Mark Cucurella to Chelsea, wasn't it? And that is somebody. I mean, we all thought oh. Dan Ashworth was pulling the strings and he was a very... Uh, but he, he's got nothing to do with this deal. And they've sold... 62 million for a left-back. Someone at Brighton is... is Phenomenal, isn't it? They've had Chelsea's life there. I mean, he might be a decent enough player, but that is some mark He is a decent player, but, uh, but that, in one season as well, that mark-up... And for a left-back, not that I'm sorry, Frank Clark, I'm not having a go at left-backs, but, uh, you know, centre-forwards at 62 million, yeah, you've mm. got to pay that. But for a left-back, Chelsea must have half wanted him. Mm. And we mentioned Dan Ashworth there. You uh, you got to meet him on Saturday yeah, before it, the game against Forrest? Yes, it was nice. He, he, they're, they're very good at PR, the current Newcastle United set-up. And uh, Dan came in the press room to want to meet people and and talk to people generally, and he come up straight across and shook hands, and uh, it was my length of time at cover in Newcastle United that fascinated him, uh, you know, putting up with so much for so long. So you wanted to know about them Victorian titles, did he? Uh, I'm not quite go back that far, but I have read me history books. He certainly wanted to know about the entertainers, and because obviously I was very much on the inside there, and uh, he was on about the best times we've had with Newcastle. And I said, well, there's not a lot of them, but um, certainly the Kevin Keegan entertainers and Bobby Robson of more recent times were terrific, and he was interested when we were talking about that. Did you get a feel of his kind of excitement for the for the project ahead? Oh, I think there's no question about that whatsoever. He, he's stimulated by it. He wants it to happen. He's a very, very shrewd man. He wants to buy into the feeling on Tyneside, to the passion on Tyneside for the club, because it is extra, extra special. Um, and yes, I feel very comforting that we've, got somebody like that who we've talked about how great the the uh, Brighton side have looked 
And a lot of that is down to him. There's a lot of it down to the coaching of Potter, but he has been finding these stars that they're able to sell for so much money. Mm, and a lot of it is down to the fact he, he works so well with the manager, didn't overstep the mark. And we're seeing that with Eddie Howe as well. You know, they're working really well in unison together. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this window ends and how Newcastle mm. go forward with them two at the top of the chain. Um, you mentioned there the entertainers, and that leads us on to a question from one of our listeners. Ryan emailed in, and you can as well. If you have a question, any comments for John or I, or any uh, of the writers that appear on the podcast, our email is the E-I-B-W podcast at reachplc.com. You can pop your comments, your feedback, your questions, and uh, I will get through to them. So Ryan asks... Uh, do you agree that Callum Wilson's game style is very similar to Andy Cole? And does he model his game on any ex-strikers, do you think? Great question, that. Um, very, very good question, because uh, he is top draw. Uh, there's absolutely no question about that. I mean, I've seen them Tony Cascarino, who is a centre-forward himself, a very decent one with uh, Villa and Marseille, Chelsea, 80-odd, Republic of Ireland caps and named him as the best English centre forward after Harry Kane and earlier in the year Paul Merson who wasn't a bad finisher striker uh, said virtually the same thing and he has that quality he has that ability we just have got to keep him right and you know what good strikers do well I didn't think it was one of his dominating matches I thought he scored a sensational goal um, he didn't get great service, but his display wasn't like the last one in the Premier League at St James's Park Arsenal when he was absolutely sensational. It wasn't of that ilk, but the finish on his goal was quite, quite exceptional. To be coming on to Joe Linton and going from right to left with a defender on him, then flick the ball with outside of your right foot over the keeper into the other end is quite an exceptional skill and good strikers do that I remember sitting and watching Super Mac often Shearer they, they will look to be quiet in the game except they're not and if defenders think they are oh I've got them pretty quiet today you wake up very very quickly because they do something like that and that took the a low forest were getting murdered in possession and in every other stat at 1-0 you're still in the game Two nil, you're not when you're getting done like that, and that took the game away from them. Mm, I was just going to make that point that it's refreshing to know that when a chance comes, you have a striker like Callum Wilson will, with that deadly touch, who can just switch on after having 80 minutes oh, of not no really question. being about. Mm. And that leads us on to Ryan's second question, and he says, "What is Plan B if Wilson's not playing? As the <laughs> style of Chris Wood is completely different to the pace and movement of Wilson, which alters how the team plays." So what is plan B? That, that is a very good observation indeed because if you sum up Wilson and um, Wood and you forget the obvious, the lack of goals, is absolutely right. The pace of Wilson, Wood's got none, and the movement, which is quite exceptional, I mean, the movement of Wilson between the lines and coming off the shoulder of the last defender is quite exceptional. He torments you. And that movement, not many have got, and certainly Wood hasn't got it. So it does mean you've got to play a very, very different way with Wood in the side. And, of course, the plan B, 
this summer was that they got a young kid in who um, came into the side whenever Wilson was needed a rest in the cups or whatever, um, or was injured. And so he came in and did the job in any way. And, and really this kid from France played in a similar way to, to Wilson. Not the experience, not the end product, not, not the, the, the business yet, but he played that way. And he was perfect in Newcastle United's mind because he would maybe be willing to sit on the bench. You, you certainly have to do so at Paris Saint-Germain. He's not going to walk into the team ahead of my puppy and, uh, and the rest of them messy in. Um, and so that, that was plan B. And now, because when you look at what your plan B's got to be, and we've said this before, you can't have a, you can't have a 27-year-old striker in his pump that scores 20 goals a season who's willing to sit on the bench and they're not going to play two up top because Howe's very reluctant to do that. So you've got a problem. Ideally, you've got a real top, top kid who will sit on the bench, develop in two seasons' time or three seasons' time, take over from Wilson permanently. Um, that plan went out the window, and they're trying to regurgitate the same type of plan by finding a similar young striker that can do that. It's not easy, though, is it? Oh, no, at all. If Newcastle end this window with just Chris Wood and Callum Wilson for options up top, is that a failure? Does that worry you? It worries me without a shadow of doubt, but in the, the, the very simple reason, and we've gone on record many times why it does worry you, is because you can't see Wilson playing 38 games a season and you can't see Wood scoring goals regularly. And as we've already mentioned, it completely changes the style of play in Newcastle that have got to play. With Wood on the side, they've got to have wingers who drop their shoulders and cross immediately. No fancy stuff, but to give him a chance in the air, etc. I think his confidence is absolutely rock bottom at the moment, and there's enough limitations to his play without his confidence being down. Chris Wood. Chris Wood, yes, and I think his confidence is down. In the way that perhaps it was down... In the end, when Joe Linton was playing nine, now the man, the managers talked about, you know, if the worst case scenario happens, for example, I mean, if 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 Wilson and I hardly want to mention it, but got injured against Brighton, you know, you haven't got anybody in yet. Uh, what do you do? Um, and he has said Joe Linton and Sam Maximum can play there, and of course they can, but I don't think. It'd they be do a bit it exceptionally like, well. Yeah, and it'd be a bit like playing Ericsson up front, like Manchester United did yes, that false night. You can get it, you can get away with it for a game or two games, but it is not them at the best. If you were picking Joe Linton in your team, you would pick him in midfield, not at nine. If you were picking some maximum, you would pick him wide, not through the middle centre forward. Now you mentioned the way Callum Wilson runs the lines; he does it fantastically well. Mm. In an ideal world, I think in Eddie Howe's mind, the person to feed those passes would be John Joe Shelby, but it has been confirmed that he's set to miss yep. many, many weeks, if not months of Probably action. Probably Christmas, with the, with the World Cup break. Yeah, now we saw Bruno Gumeresh drop back into that deeper role. There was a bit of concern beforehand whether that would nullify, but he just had a fantastic performance. But That's what he talk, was originally, a, yeah. a defensive midfielder. Before we talk about Gumeresh, What's your thoughts on, on John Joe Shelby? How big of a blow is it that he's going to miss all those weeks of action? It's a blow, but it's not necessarily the huge blow that we think it is. It, it's a blow because of his passing range and because we've only got X number of players available to play midfield. But it doesn't hit me like 
an injury to um, Callum Wilson would hit me. Uh, or an injury to Trippier would worry, even though Kraft did well. Or, well, except very much Bruno. Um, yes, I mean, to be truthful, it if we play a three-man midfield, Shelby is fighting to get the third position. Bruno and Joe Linton are nailed on ahead of him, and an injury to one of them keeping them out to Christmas would be a heck of a bigger blow than an injury to Shelby keeping them out to Christmas. I thought Newcastle were absolutely dominant in midfield against Forrest. Uh, it was really a... The engine room dictates the way a match goes. Defenders keep the ball out, attackers are meant to score. But the, the person that depends, that sets the possession stats... The front foot uh, play, etc., etc., is your midfielders. And I thought Bruno, Joe Linton, and Joe Willock, who was only in because of Shelby and got the nod ahead of Sean Longstaff, who was a little bit of a, a flick of the coin, which one would start. And I thought Willock did well uh, in the midfield, provided the platform which brought the win. Um, I mean, Bruno is just a different class. I mean, you know, you're talking... And you're, you're talking about a proper player, but he, he's a proper player as your goal-scoring midfielder and he's a proper player as your defensive shield for the for the two central defenders. I mean, he came to us as a defensive midfielder <coughs> and then scored six goals or something at the end of last season. He can do any job. And I think we mentioned... Last week, when we did the podcast before Forrest, the third player that come in would decide the way Bruno plays. If it's Willick, as we said, you've got to play Willick going into the box late because that's his game. So that meant Bruno has to sit when Shelby's not there. You bring in Longstaff to start and he can sit and Bruno can go into the box. So, But if Willick plays, Bruno's got to sit that much deeper. But... Um, Either way, you know the wonderful thing is that good players always look as if they've got all the time in the world. They haven't, but they're never hurried. They look because they don't panic, they've got ice in their veins, they've got vision, and they know the ball to play to get out. Bruno's got all those things. Mm, sharp in the mind and sharp oh, with the ball at the feet. No danger. He was fantastic. And you said there, it's not as big as a blow as, as some might need you to believe. Mm. But for John Shelby personally... It was always going to be a big oh, season for it, him. It, for him, it's a huge blow because you've got to admire him. He foresaw the problems he could have this season. He hadn't finished last season fit. He foresaw the problems. He went off to Turkey on a month's holiday, taking the family, stuck them around the pool, and he had his personal trainer and trained every day and come back as fit as it was possible to be. Some people thought a little too fit, a bit hollow-cheeked. Um, and why did he do it? Because he had looked at Bruno and Joe Linton, knew they were nailed on, so he used to be the kingpin for Newcastle in midfield. When Lin Joe Linton was the centre-forward and we didn't have Bruno, Shelby was the one that popped the ball around, Dubovka was the goalkeeper unchallenged, etc., etc. He recognised that it's no longer like that for him. He recognised that he's 30-year-old. He recognised that if he wasn't able to do the, hot, the high press, etc., etc., which demanded huge fitness, that he could, in his words, get left behind. Now, he's forced to get left behind until Christmas, so for him personally, it is a massive blow. 
it has a bit of significance for us, but it might depend on signings. Madison was a mid midfielder that we were very keen on recently, but it can open the door for Elliot Anderson quicker than perhaps we expected. But uh, he's a, 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 a good talent, and therefore there is somebody around beyond Bruno, Joe Linton, Willock and Longstaff who can fill in there. It could very much be a sliding doors moment for John Joe Shelby, couldn't it? Because we know how much Eddie Howe likes him. Yep. But he misses say he comes back say October time and we don't know that we don't know, you know, how long he's gonna be out for, so I'm just gonna hypothetically say comes back October time, fit and ready to go. He's missed a large part of that. Let's say it is Joe Linton, Gumaresh and Joe Willick, and they've all performed really well. He's not getting back in the side. You then get a January sitting on the bench. Does oh, he push yeah. for a move? Does he? It, it, you know, this this potentially has oh, massive ramifications for his Newcastle United career. Yes, it does have. Um, there's absolutely no question because, you know, when he's ready to come back into training, as we've said, he missed a lot of the end of last season, and he's missed the start of this season. He won't be ready when he comes back into training to go straight in the side. It'll take him weeks, and they're going into the uh, World Cup break. I can't see him being up and firing until around Christmas time. Um, and yes, it only takes three appearances and he's capable of getting... I mean, I don't think he will want to go off on, on loan in January because he needs to play three games to trigger another year at Newcastle. If he goes out on loan, he ain't going to play three games mm -hmm. for Newcastle and then he's, his contract isn't triggered and he's, next season's his last one. So he won't want to go out on loan. He'll want to play those three games and trigger another year and see what he can do there. But at the age he's at, at missing all the end of last season and the beginning of this season, uh, it is a massive, massive year for him. Obviously, he's going to be quite capable of playing the three games and getting another year when he does come back. Um, but he will need and want to be in this starting lineup, not coming off the bench. And if somebody like Willock or Longstaff or Anderson have taken advantage of him being out all this time, or Newcastle have even bought somebody, uh, then or buy somebody in January mm. for the plays midfield. In many ways, it's a shame because I was really looking forward to seeing how he handles the battle for that midfield role. So mm. it is a bit of a shame not to see that play out, but equally we're seeing Gamaresh fill in there. I mean, it's only been one game, so we'll see. Uh, come back in a month's time. He can time. fill in anyway. Yes. I, um, I bet he can play a goal during the week. Well, we don't need him. We've got Nick Pope. <laughs> uh, we'll get on to the goalkeeper situation in a moment, but just sticking with the midfield, did Joe Willick do enough for you for you for him to start against Brighton on yes, Saturday? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I, I'm not saying um, what he's going to do long term because, like everybody, like him, like Maxi, like Meggy, they need to do it over more than one game. But he certainly did enough uh, without a shadow of doubt. I mean, I would. Uh, anticipating no signings by Saturday and anyway we know with the way he handled Botman and the way he handled Bruno to start with if we get a signing from abroad before the weekend they wouldn't start anyway because he likes them to sit on the outside looking in and seeing the, what the intensity and the power of the Premier League is I would be very surprised if we don't start with the same 11 that started against Forrest because the, the big decisions were Pope you're not going to drop him after a clean sheet, even though he only had to pick a couple of crosses out the air. You're certainly not going to drop Shaw or Byrne for this game when Shaw scored a, a 
belting goal when we needed it. What do you make of that? The fact that Botman didn't start. I mean, we talked about it on last we week's did, episode. And we we sort of suggested that might be a thought in his mind. I thought the reason why it... Because we followed this loyalty thing and what we're seeing is exactly what we saw with Bruno. Um, whether you like it or not, whether you're a big signing or not, and Bruno with his add-ons is a 40 million and this guy's a 35 million. By Newcastle standards, that's huge. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that that Shaw and Byrne know that in X number of games, one of them's going to be out because Botman's going to come in and Botman's going to stay in. That is the biggest certainty is night following day. But right now, uh, it's the way it is. And yes, it's Eddie Howe's way of handling these situations. He likes to be loyal uh, to players. And this weekend, we're talking about what the team will be. Well, Shaw scored the goal that rescued the game because we were coming up to an hour. Everything had been perfect apart from the cutting edge in the final third, which was, wasn't anywhere near good enough. And he just scored a superb goal. Byrne was absolutely excellent as well. And of course, Byrne's going back to Brighton. You're not going to drop Byrne going back to Brighton after the game he played there. And you're not going to drop Shaw with the goal he scored. So they're nailed on for Brighton. And I think Willock's nailed on. I think Pope's nailed on. And your two wingers are nailed on to so be the two. Miggy, other than scoring? Because, I mean, that was the big letdown. He looked, he looked threatening. Yeah. He had a couple of good chances saved. But, again, there was a bit of frustration. We, we, me and Aaron talked about this on Munner's episode that there was chances that weren't chances because he didn't shoot. Had he shot, there would have become yeah, chances. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, everything we've said, I've said about Miggy, I'll stick by. I haven't changed my mind because of uh, Nottingham. There were the pluses that there always are. The relentless work rate, the relentless running, the, the eagerness. There was everything that he, that is frustrating that... Uh, he wasn't. He didn't look as if he'd score the way he was pre-season, and uh, he keeps checking back because he's playing on the other foot on the wing. He's had to keeps checking back when he could go and he doesn't shoot. There was all of that, but you're not going to. After that display by the whole team, which was sixty-two percent possession, when did we have sixty-two percent possession in the past? Twenty-three shots to fifteen, eleven corners to one. There's. They've done enough, the starting 11, to go again. Fraser's not going to get in ahead of Miggy for this match coming up. We'll see what happens after that. Pope, Dubovka's not going to get in for Pope, who's an England goalkeeper and kept a clean sheet. And we've just talked about why Botman won't start at Brighton. So I think it'll be the same 11. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating team. I do agree. I think it probably will be an unchanged side. Just before we get on to talk a bit more about Brighton, just a reminder to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider. It's totally free to do. It just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification to say it's ready to download or listen to. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps us get the podcast out to a wider audience and share the episodes amongst your Newcastle United supporting friends and family. And we've also got a live event coming up on the 21st of August, which is the Sunday that Newcastle face Manchester City. We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre, myself and John Gibson here. We'll have Lee Ryder, Aaron Stokes, and your cast night editor, and the Times' Henry Winter. 
Now it's free to come along. We're going to kick off at 12 noon, which gives you plenty of time to come along, quiz the panel, and then you can head up to St. James's Park for the 4.30 kickoff against Manchester City. Like I say, it is free to come. The link for tickets will be in the podcast description. Now, I have to say we're closing in on 100 signups already. There's only 150 tickets, so if you want to come along, you best be quick. There's going to be a few raffle prizes, uh, so we're going to raise money for the Sir Boy Robertson Foundation and the Newcastle Fans Food Bank. So click that link in the podcast description to secure your tickets. It's set to be the perfect build-up to hopefully three points against Manchester City. <laughs> yes, that's right. We do hope, we live in hope, but yes. Um, but before then, Newcastle have to get three points against Brighton. And as we've mentioned, John, you know they were very impressive against Manchester United. And I know Manchester United are going through a bit of a bad spell. And you know what? I absolutely love it. In the words of Kevin Keegan, there are few sides that I love more to uh, kind of implode than Manchester United. But on Brighton's performance, because I do feel they've been hard done by in many ways. It's all been about how bad Manchester United were. But in reality, Brighton were really good. And we've mentioned the players that they've sold this summer. They've also lost Dan Ashworth. It would have been quite easy for them to implode. Now, I know it's only one game, but their performance does deserve credit. Absolutely, Andrew. They don't implode. It's unbelievable. They seem capable of selling anybody in the side. And somebody is signed back. or they, they, they move, somebody is, graduates into the team because they've got a style of play that you take one man out and you put another one in and the style doesn't change. And it's all built around neat, tidy, quick passing, often one touch. And, and it's a joy to watch. And if you look out of side of the so-called top six, the Champions League uh, clubs, etc., etc., two of the best sides to watch are Brighton and the current Newcastle United. N- not mm. the old Newcastle United. So what a game that can be. Brighton are very, very good. And they've got an excellent mixture if players, they've got the, the the bright stars that are they're capable of selling and have been selling, and there's some more coming off the the taxi rank that they can do that with, and then they've revived the careers very well of golden oldies who looked as if they were finished by injuries. Danny Welbeck and Adam Lallana. Well, I was going to mention Lallana there because he both of them both looked were fantastic. Actually, oh, both of them looked. As if they were finished. They've had the highest career. I think one's got 40-odd England caps. Lilana's got 35. Lilana was a top man at Liverpool. Danny Welbeck at Manchester United and Spurs. They've had their great careers. Arsenal. They've had, yeah, absolutely. They've had their great careers. Um, Yes, Arsenal, absolutely. They've had their great careers. And you think with injury, we're not going to see too much of them. And yes, I have had injury problems. But when they're fit, it's a bit like Callum Wilson, isn't it? You know, you say with Welbeck, you say, well, when they're fit, oh, they're terrific. But can you keep them fit? And they both look, Lilona is has got a lovely touch and a lovely vision. He was spraying it, the ball around like ah, nobody's business against Manchester United. And led his line. Absolutely. Yes, perhaps he's gone back home, in, in quotes, to man. You know, he's old got a bit and He's got a bit that he wants to do well. But he did do well. And on that day, those two can turn the clock back to what they were. 
they just can't do it over a full season, relentless, because of if their background of if, if injuries, etc. But it's a lovely mix. Them and the rest of the players that are in the side is a mix that that happens well. And when they've taken ex players, they haven't taken somebody like Andy Carroll, um, who plays one way and one way only, and is a yeah. battering ram. Um, in his older and has injury problems, to take people that fit in their silky way of playing, like Welbeck and like Lilone. And they've done that very, very well in our threat, no question. It's going to be interesting to see how Newcastle handle Danny Welbeck, if indeed he does start. He won uh, nine out of his 14 duels. He won eight out of his uh, 12 ground duels. He was he was just, like you see, he just led the line really, really well. He's intelligent. Yes. Uh, Lalana, he had 32 accurate passes out of 37 attempts, so 86% uh, success rate with that. He was uh, praised by quite a lot of people. And one man who was, was impressed with Brighton was, was Alan Shearer. He spoke at BBC Five Live and he said... Brighton were amazing on Sunday when you consider their record at Old Trafford wasn't very good. They had drawn two and lost 12 of their previous 14 visits. The way they performed after losing a couple of really important players in pre-season to go there and play the way they did and make Manchester United. Alan, you've only said United in this quote. I'm going to add in Manchester before people start yeah, writing in. Absolutely, you. Alan, you missed that one out, my friend, as a Geordie. Make Manchester United look ordinary great credit to Brighton and you know there was again just loads of people I mean there were the text here and I am on the BBC website to so credit the BBC for, for these responses from Brighton fans uh, Richard a Brighton fan wrote in the BBC and said a fantastic performance Brighton had to dig deep in the second half but on the whole with a better side as the score shows Manchester United struggled to deal with the midfield of Brighton run at them in the first half and this allowed Lorna to spray the ball around at will Pascal Gross who got the two goals John. yeah was man of the match, and and you know the the, the text that came into the BBC that you just got to scroll social media. The reaction is pretty much all like that. So Newcastle are going to have a really, really tough time um, on on Saturday, I think. Yeah, they are, but um, let's not build it up too much. They're going to have a tough time. Well, equally, as well. yes, they're going to have a tough time. And you were asking how uh, our two centre backs might. Um, Fancy Welbeck. Well, of course, first of all, Byrne knows exactly what he's going to face. He was playing with them six months ago, uh, a, a little bit more. Um, so he knows exactly what's coming and, and, and what is not coming, if you like. I think one of the great things with Welbeck, from, from Byrne's point of view and Shaw's point of view, is that Welbeck won't run away from them. But my joke of the game afterwards, the fellow will run away from them. Harland, I mean, have you seen anybody as quick in acceleration from standing stock still to top speed in about 12 strides. I mean, on both goals, the winning of the penalty and the second goal for Man City at West Ham, his quickness was phenomenal. Now, our two centre-halves don't like that sort of quickness. Not many people do, by the way. Mm. So that's going to be a problem. And by the way, just to finish before you jump in, that might be just the game when Botman against Wolves in the next game makes his debut after Haaland has a go at the two centre-backs for an hour and a half at St James's Park. Well, of course, we'll, we'll talk about this well, yes, next week. Yes, that's I'll be interested to see your thoughts on whether they might actually switch to going three at the back. But that's for next week. We're talking about yeah. centre-backs here. Now, Lewis Dunk, 
he's been linked to Newcastle before. Sure. Uh, he's, Who he's, wasn't? Yes, that's very true. One of those that doesn't seem he, he was in the England squad once or twice, wasn't he, but hasn't had a look in since. He's a, he's a very good centre-back. I'm going to be really intrigued to see how Callum Wilson and him line up and battle against each other. You think you'll keep Callum Wilson quiet or will Callum Wilson get the better Callum Wilson can battle against anybody and he is fit at the moment. I mean, really fit, 100% fit. I mean, he sometimes plays for Newcastle and he's 80%, um, but they need him. Uh, right now, at the start of a new season and having had a good pre-season behind him to build up his fitness, he is really fit. Don't might well keep him quiet for 75 minutes, but that's not 90 minutes. And this, if don't, doesn't keep a hold of him and keep his concentration and keep the levels high, this fella's capable of picking his pocket. Absolutely no question whatsoever. Um, I wouldn't, at the moment, outside of possibly Canaan's song, I wouldn't swap a fit Wilson, 100% fit Wilson for anybody. In Are the you Premier. sure? Not even that Manchester City striker? Well, we, we haven't really seen him yet and he's out of our <laughs> game. Yes, we've seen him the one game. I mean, it, 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 oh yes, I mean, I would take the Manchester City striker against anybody. I mean, he, he made Usain Bolt look slow and ponderous. I mean, he looks as if he's an animal. This is the guy, by the way, the week before against Liverpool in the uh, Community Shield was supposed to look out of his depth and going to take time Mr. to get used he? to the post. Centre forwards do. Malcolm McDonald wrote a book, Never Afraid to Miss. Malcolm McDonald used to say, when you saw Joe Linton miss as a number nine, you could see six inches went off his height. When Malcolm McDonald missed, he used to say, great, because I know I'm not going to miss the next time. I don't miss two setters on the bounce, mm. so I know I'm going to score. Um, and you know people were quick to, because of the amount of money spent on Holland do I tell you what 52 million it, it's a snip he's not dear 62 million for a left back the guy that's just left Brighton that's dear mm. but it, it isn't for Holland um, getting back to, to Brighton there's going to be some interesting lineups against Newcastle United's full backs I mean Trossard Started out on the left for Brighton, so you go up against Kieran Trippier. Some people felt Trippier was a little below par mm -hmm. uh, against Nottingham Forest. Did, did you would you agree with that conclusion? Uh, yes, there was moments when he was when he was caught, switched off or slightly out of position, and you saw him having to run back. Um, this happens with fullbacks. Target was not no is not necessarily always um, you know one hundred percent. Um, so yes, and uh, good players will have the moments, and of course, it's it's key moments that rest in your mind, you know. Mm. Um, other players to mention, we've mentioned obviously Lalana, of course, got the two goals. Solly Marsh is another threatening one who would be up against Matt Target if they line up the, the same way. So it'd be an interesting battle there. And Sanchez in the goal as well, another player linked to Newcastle United. He's a, he's he's actually one of Dan Ashworth's success stories. You know, he organised a couple of loan spells. It's worked out perfectly well for Sanchez. He's now a, a Spanish international, a very good goalkeeper. So if Callum Wilson, which I'm sure he will, gets the better of Dunk, and they did play three at the back against Manchester United, gets the better of Dunk, you're going to have to get the better of Sanchez. That's all right. Dean Henderson played for England and got the better aim. Not even in the same league, Sanchez and Dean Henderson. But that's a 
discussion for a, a totally It doesn't match. matter how great your goalkeeper is, if you finish correctly, you'll score. It's all about the striker, and I'm sure I'm gonna I'm gonna actually bet on Callum Wilson to score again against uh, this weekend. I think I think that's I think he's got that goal scoring. Okay. That's fair. Goal scoring that's streak. A great possibility. Before I ask you for your prediction, John, let's just briefly talk about the shirt that Newcastle United are going to wear on Saturday. Now, they'd already released three, the home, the away, mm-hmm. and the third kit. That away kit, that blue one, is absolutely stunning. Gorgeous, by the way. But it turns out that um, <laughs> the first three kits seem to clash with the Brighton kits, and they've had to release a special fourth one, which has got the skyline of Newcastle on. It appears to be very similar to the training search uh, shirt. I think I, I read it's only going to be worn. I think it's once. their warm up shirt, yeah. isn't it? It's their warm up shirt. What do you make of that? Is that know. is that the Premier League being sticklers? Is that a mistake on the manufacturer's part? Probably it's the Premier League being sticklers, but uh, it's at least to my worries at Brighton. What colour shirt we've got on that particular day? I'm much more concerned about what sort of performance we've got on, whether it's. Uh, blue or it's red hot uh, that matters a lot more to me than what shirt to wear as a one-off down there that's the least of my worries because when Newcastle aren't in black and white it's not quite the same for me and they can't be in black and white all the time and the blue one is stunning but uh, call me old-fashioned because I am old-fashioned I like to see Newcastle in black and white stripes and that's my number one shirt for Newcastle after that when they've got a chain shirt I'm not much fussed mm. Oh, simple as that. A lot of people up in arms about it, but I think. Oh, I, I think that you will get fans that do that, and we can discuss it. But you know, I'd rather discuss getting a centre forward before September the first than the shirt we're going to wear at Brighton, which I don't think will affect the result. By the way, other things will. How important is it, given Manchester City are next oh, on the agenda, that Newcastle yeah. pick up three points against Brighton? It's very important they don't lose. I think Andrew. Um, I mean, if we got a, a draw at Brighton, the way Brighton played Man U, um, you've got to forget that it's Man City next because whenever Man City come or whenever Liverpool come, you've got to face the fact there is a good likelihood that you, you might get beaten. Um, not automatically, not at all. Fulham showed that against Liverpool, but there's a good chance... Um, but you've got to forget that because you're always going to come up to a game and say the game before we play Man City or Liverpool we better win today because we're not going to win next week it, implying that um, it's very important that they don't lose at Brighton of course it's important to win wins three points draws one but um, it's important they don't lose I think that's what's important because if they, if they do we go we've got um You've lost to Brighton. If you lose to Man City, then you go to Wolves. You, whoop, 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 whoop. you don't want to start like that. So, yes, it's important that we go down there and at the very least, don't lose. And there we have it. That leads us into the final question then for this episode. We both got it right last week, John. We both said Newcastle I think that would was, win. I think that was the easy one. Uh, I mean, I had absolutely no doubt in my mind that they would beat Forrest. Forrest were a, a bunch of um, strangers thrown together and told go out and play and the only concern I had the whole of the game was where the the first goal came from um, but I've, it's a long time since Newcastle have dominated the ball as, as, as much as that and against Forest, you know you were almost given the ball mm-hmm. um, so this will be very, very different 
And go on then. How's it going to go for Newcastle? I've, you know, when I was coming here to do this, I've, I've changed my mind every five or ten steps from a draw to a win. Um, I haven't contemplated a defeat because I don't think we can afford it, but I also don't think it'll happen. Um, and I decided to go for a draw, but I would like to go for a win. Um, but I, I think it'll be one or the other. I don't think we'll lose. But if I was really sure come to push, I would go for a draw. I'm going to go for a draw as well, I think. Because I was just that impressed with Brighton. They're going to be full of confidence. And Newcastle are as well. I just think it's going to be a very, very good game. I, just, I really do hope that the neutral enjoys this. And I think it will finish in a, in a, in a draw. I think it'll, uh, both teams will score. I think it could be something like 2-2. I, mean, I know we're not doing score predictions. But I do think mm. it'll be an entertaining game. And I think it's just good for the Premier League as well, John, that we're sitting here and we're saying, you know, these two teams here potentially could upset the top eight and, and you know look to, to really they're two of the most attractive teams outside of the obvious big hitters mm. uh, there's absolutely no question about that um, and that's terrific that Newcastle have jumped into that category so quickly because when 2022 dawned we were in a mess still in a mess we, the changes had started with the takeover and the new manager but the results hadn't started so the turnover in optimism fired by the results of 2022 are quite amazing and um, it's a joy to behold it is indeed so there we have it we're both tipping Newcastle to draw against Brighton at the Amex on Saturday you can follow the game live over on chroniclive.co.uk through our dedicated live blog we'll have Lee Ryder and Kieran Kelly down on the south coast bringing you kick by kick action We'll also have the view from the opposition via Richie Mills. That episode will be going out on Friday morning and we'll have the post-game reaction as well from one of the writers down at the Amex in the hours after the game. Plenty going on. And remember to secure your tickets for our live event on August the 21st up at the Tyneside Irish Centre. The perfect way to build up to Newcastle versus Manchester City. Free entry, so you've got no excuse. Thank you very much for tuning in.